With their ill-fated Children's Place venture well behind them, Disney plans to give the store and a store concept another go. Barney's, on the other hand, will close 15 of its 22 stores as the retailer figures out its next move. And with the majority of Americans now struggling with a smartphone addiction, why are retailers struggling to get customers to use their apps? We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, September 2nd, and this is your Retail Rundown. Our guests today include Diane Ellis and Lynn Tusian. Diane is a C-suite executive and consultant with over three decades of experience in consumer retail. With a resume that includes Brooks Brothers and Chico's, Diane has led a number of iconic brands that underwent major transformations while under her leadership. Lynn is the Vice President of Experience and Strategy and Marketing at Valtech, where she has worked with some of the world's most innovative brands. Lynn also has an entrepreneurial spirit, which led her to conceptualize and oversee the development of a mobile-focused shopping application. Diane and Lynn, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for hey. inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So first up with some sad news, Barney's New York has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy for the second time in its 100-year history. With over $100 million in debt, they're closing stores in Chicago, Las Vegas, Seattle, and other cities to focus on their Madison Avenue branch. The brand stated they're looking to have a strong, digitally-focused partner to help them implement their vision. And we've seen this with other retailers either buying or partnering with digital-first companies. Then what's your thoughts on this? I would say multiple things that may have led to this. One of the things that is not related just about you know, digital or, or technology would be to say that I think that unfortunately Barney's had a clientele that is simply aging and they didn't really renew this clientele. They have a lot of competitions and millennials are shopping differently and so on. I think this is one of the aspects. The other thing also comes to the point that the customers are, I would say, less and less interested in those those large stores where they can find everything, especially in delivery product, because they are looking for something that is more personalized. While the trend right now is totally the opposite, why people are really interested in something that is more curated. And they either try to implement some digital components, but it doesn't hold together. It's kind of isolated, so users are not interested because it has to be really integrated into an experience. And then for retailers, this is a very big challenge. If they have this project led by their tech department, they don't necessarily understand retail, they don't necessarily understand user experience. If it is led by the retail department, they don't necessarily understand technology. This is why they really need the support of experts that can help them to bridge all of this together. Yeah, so I think what you're saying is that you have to have an integrated approach to this that understands both the technology and the consumer, understands retail and where it's headed in the trends. Dan, what do you think about Barney's and, and more in, in aggregate? What does this mean for traditional retailers in terms of how they need to evolve? Well, I think, you know, in addition to the points that were mentioned, I think one of the challenges that Barney's has, as well as a number of other retailers, is if they are private equity owned, and as Barney's is, and the challenge with debt and the inability to have or the challenge to have a really longer term view because the type of changes that a Barney's would need to undertake 
or should have undertaken prior to the state that they're in today don't lend themselves to a short-term view. Those types of transformational changes to really build a strong digital presence or those kinds of things take not months, but take years. And so I think for a lot of traditional retailers, if they're in a private equity ownership structure or even in a public environment, it's difficult to make the kinds of transformational changes that you need to in the investments ahead of the revenue curve that are required to really evolve and innovate. And I think that's part of the challenge that they face. For traditional retailers, again, we've seen people like the partnership with Jet and a number of other digital partners kind of coming in and working with traditional retailers to kind of make a one plus one equals three. But I do think it has to be an integrated experience. For Barney's, the challenge is you would be getting a physical presence as a digital partner, but unlike, you know, Lord and Taylor and Tote, where I think Tote was looking for access to brands and brand relationships, I'm not sure that, for example, someone like Annette Porte or someone like that, the brands that Barney's generally carries are already carried by digital players and there's not really much of a need to partner from that perspective. So it would just be is there a need for a digital presence? And I'm not sure that that digital presence of a traditional kind of uh, department store space with a lot of square footage makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think I would tend to agree with this. I think that the point is the customer right now is looking for something that's going to really help them to find what they need. And for them, it's a mix of both. I was reading a statistic. I think it's about near 70% of people that browse online before going to a store and then that they can curate themselves what they are interested in. But then where is the connection? I walk into the store and where do I find, let's say that I have listed 10 items, where do I find them? And this is what people are looking for. They want to be able to easily have something and they are always on their phone. They get to the store, then it's on the phone and they should be able to very easily find what they are interested in. And this is this bridge that is missing. Paul, you mentioned the word integration, I think it's one of really of the key of those retail experience. And I agree with that. I think the importance of the customer journey and understanding the fact that, you know, again, what you quoted is the same data that I've seen where it's about 70, 75% of customers begin the journey online prior to uh, ever setting foot in the store. And one of the innovations that we had put in place on the basis of that at Chico's was knowing that the comes in in the middle of an experience, not beginning in the store, we ended up putting a concierge check-in desk for the customers in our stores to be able to come in and locate those products that they had already been pre-curating in their online experience. And so recognizing again that that experience doesn't start the minute they set foot in the store, it's been a journey that's been ongoing perhaps for a long time prior to them setting foot in the store. Yeah, so I think what I hear you both saying is that it is a continuous customer experience, both online and physical. It's a bit of a continuum, a Mobius strip, if you will, that as they go into stores, that that leads them into an online, into loyalty programs, into other ways of engaging with the brand. As they start their journey, they may start, it sounds like 70% might start online, and then that brings them into the store. So a good takeaway for all retailers is to understand the connectedness of all that. 
But now for some happier news. Just in time for the holidays, Target and Disney are teaming up to introduce Disney-themed micro-stores inside of Target to sell Disney-branded apparel, toys, and games. Target says the companies are creating fun, interactive store experiences with music and a sitting area where children can watch Disney movie clips. This comes at a time when Target's having its best year since 2005, and it continues its strategy of partnerships with leading brands. But I can't help but notice this isn't Disney's first attempt at this. They had over 300 stores with their Children's Place joint venture back in 2004, and that all ended up closing by 2008. So what's different this time, Diane? Well, I think that Target is a great partner to work with again. And they've proven that their partnerships and collaborations are really attractive to consumers and continue to reinvent that store experience through those partnerships. It's what I like to call a one plus one equals three, where you know, you've know you got two highly credible partners that are meaningful and relevant to the customer base that they're focused on, which is primarily younger families, that the combination of those two enhance each other and make for you know a better experience overall. So I think what's different is they sell a little bit of victim, the prior Disney Children's Place combination to a mall-based environment. In Target, you're in a big box environment where you've got consistent foot traffic and you've got a customer base who is right up their alley. So it's really enhancing that relationship that Target already has with a young family consumer and young family life stage that Disney is a perfect partner for that. I think their challenge will be to keep it fresh. And that was really part of the issue I think that happened in the prior episode with Disney where the stores got a little stale. You know, the inventory wasn't enough newness and freshness. There wasn't enough experience in the store environment, which Disney, everything about Disney is about the experience. And it became more kind of about the product and inventory and less about the experience. So as long as they keep it new and fresh and focus on an experience, not just a way to procure product, I think they have an opportunity to really, again, get that one plus one equals three out of the relationship. I think that, you know, if you think about something like you look at a store and it is just merchandising and all, let's say in that case, all the toys or all the products are there. And then it's to walk through this, trying to figure out what it is about, comparing to something where you can really experience the product and for kids to play with it. Then it becomes something that is totally, totally different. And that's where you see the difference. You know, what, what is coming to mind right now is this big Lego store that is here in New York, where you always have a lot of people there because... It's a full immersion in the product and people can do a lot of things and they can really play with it and enjoy it. So when you have this kind of experience, of course, you become way more interested in buying something than when you just see something in a box with an image that is trying to tell you what this is about. And I think Toys R Us is a great example of, again, they had a product every element of toy product, a product for young children, but it just didn't have any experience related to that. And we all saw kind of what happened to Toys R Us. So the importance of that, creating that experiential piece of it is just mission critical for any retailer. Yeah, I think it's interesting that as we talk about two very different stories, one about Barney's closing locations and the other about 
Disney opening locations, but we still come back to the same central point that to get people into physical retail and to complete the continuous experience, the retail experience, the reasons have to be strong. There has to be a strong experiential element to it that draws people in. If a store is only delivering product inventory selection and price, that's more efficiently done digitally. And I think that that is a natural transition to the last topic I wanted to cover today, which is mobile apps. There's a new study coming out from Payments and Listener Report that says only 12% of shoppers are using retailers' apps to buy products in store, and only 11% use a mobile wallet. So, Lynn, I wonder, I know that you've launched a mobile app in retail before. What do you think are some of the reasons behind that fairly dismal uptake on these retailers' apps? Uh, well, just before answering this, I would say that even at 12%, I think that I would even expect this to even lower than that. Um, you know, you 12% mentioned- is, is actually a good progress from your viewpoint. <laughs> yes, because the, the thing is that, you know, if I go back, which is already uh, years ago, but when, you know, I was working on this application, was really when everybody were talking about application and you would say, oh, every company said we need to have a mobile application. Me and my team would go, we would have conversation with different companies, luxury companies, beauty companies, fashion, etc. And many of them would say, well, we are not interested to use a third party application because we're going to do our own. So at this point, they were not anticipating that at one point the customer would stop to download application. There is a certain number of applications that you can have on your phone and at the beginning people would download a lot of games and then after that it was something that was more useful. But if you look around, people will keep on their phone anything that really has a purpose. Maybe a few games depending on who it is, but it has to have a purpose. Otherwise, why would I go to the trouble to download it? First of all, it's already a point of friction. I need to do something. And then it's like, I simply forget about it. What are the benefits? What is the reason? And I'm going to give an example that is about a restaurant, which is Weed Green, which is a chain uh, that we have here. They have on their application, a very simple application, but it is useful because I can go in there, I can pre-order what I want. And once I walk into the store, they don't take any cash. I just have my QR code on my phone that is my ID, and then it automatically presses the payment. And then I can walk out. So an application that doesn't have a very, very specific purpose, people are no longer interested in downloading this. And actually right now what we are seeing, it's really we are talking more and more about progressive web app which means that I can have an experience that is very similar to a native experience without having to make the effort of downloading something. I can use it whenever I want. And finally, maybe the last point, we'll also come back to what we wanted to achieve at that time, which was a bit early because the technology was not ready, but was this idea that I could start shopping online, save products on my phone, not on a wish list that's going to remain on the retailer's website, 
because then I simply forget about it. But if it is on my phone and then it is paired with um, localization, then I'm even able to have a reminder if I walk nearby a store that I saved one of their products. Then you start bridging this online and offline world and then it becomes very useful for the customer. Interesting. So I think the takeaway I hear is that you have to create enough value and specificity in that app that it's solving a problem for the user to make it worth adding yet another app to, to their phone. Diane, what's your thought on retailers' apps and what's going on here? I would concur with what both of you are saying. It has to be something that really either is dynamic enough that the content is changing and interfacing with the consumer on a dynamic basis or that it really, really ups the game on convenience and value add to the consumer. The analogy I would give is the challenge you have with private label credit cards as a retailer. Consumers have to have something in the value proposition of that private label credit card that is very, very compelling and unique to make them put another card in their wallet versus, again, you know, leveraging those standard Visa, MasterCard, American Express. And so when you're looking at an app, you know, it has to have something that really has a compelling value proposition to make room on her phone, just like she would have to make room in her wallet for an additional card. I love that example. That's a great analogy of exactly what it is. I think of the same thing, right? Do I want another credit card? Do I want another app on my phone? That's the barrier that a retailer has to get over. So I think you're spot. Yeah. And I think what we saw was, again, you know, the move to creating experiences on the site similar to what we were talking about where people can go and have access to items that they've saved, have those be on their phone, but not necessarily having to download a specific app to do that. And having the ability to go in and check, for example, loyalty points or reward points or other components of their relationship with the retailer without having to have the commitment of downloading an app because with the app there again it has to have something that really either is very dynamic and gives me new content or new reasons to interact with it on a daily basis or it has something that the value proposition again like not having to check out when I'm leaving and just have it again be charged to my account based on a QRS code or something like that so I think there was a rush to those and a lot of time and effort on the part of a lot of retailers without really thinking about the true value proposition and is it compelling enough to the consumer to make space on her phone for your app so once again this brings us back to the experience and to remove friction for customer there is another example that is coming to mind that it's not actually even using a mobile application but it's a grocery store where when you go there they tell you that you can go online and put your email and then they link this to your credit card or your debit card that you are using for buying. So every time that you go back to the store that you use the credit card or the debit, they add automatically points to your loyalty program for which you simply had to put your email. And then once a month, they will send you an email and said, well, we just added cash to your account. So next time that you come and make a purchase, it will be deducted from your total. 
it's great. I had nothing to do. I don't have to worry about a card. I don't have oh. to worry about an application. It's automated. Yeah. No receipt, no coupon. No. Exactly. No friction. It's very, very easy. And I love this. I don't even have to think about it. But however, I remember okay. it and I really appreciate it. And that's what customers are looking for. We are in an era where I'm going to say people are lazy. <laughs> they just want to have everything very easy. That's what we are looking for. So what I hear you saying is lower barriers and increased value. And if we really take it about all the stories today, it's about creating experiences and value that wow consumers and are better than their other options, whether their options are going into a store or shopping online or whether it's using your app or your loyalty program. It's all about making it easy, convenient, and great experience. Well, I want to thank yeah. both Lynn and Diane. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I've enjoyed chatting with you on this and your insights on all the topics. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Great. And thanks to our listeners. This has been another wonderful edition, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.